Good morning. The scripture reading today comes from Proverbs 3:27-28, Proverbs 3:15, and 21, and all of that is on page six of the bulletin. Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is in your power to do it. Do not say to your neighbor, go and come again. Tomorrow I will give it when you have it with you. Let your foot be seldom in your neighbor's house, lest he have his fill of you and hate you. Whoever blesses his neighbor with a loud voice, rising early in the morning, will be counted as cursing. Whoever belittles his neighbor lacks sense, but a man of understanding remains silent. Be not a witness against your neighbor without cause, and do not deceive with your lips. Do not say, I will do to him as he has done to me. I will pay the man back for what he has done. One who lacks sense gives a pledge and puts up security in the presence of his neighbor. The poor is disliked even by his neighbor, but the rich has many friends. Whoever despises his neighbor is a sinner, but blessed is he who is generous to the poor. Buenos días. Las, le las lecturas de hoy vienen del libro de Proverbios. No niegues un favor a quien te lo pida, si en tu mano está el otorgarlo. Nunca digas a tu prójimo, vuelve más tarde, te ayudaré mañana, si hoy tienes con qué ayudarlo. No frecuentes la casa de tu amigo, no sea que lo fastidies y llegue a aborrecerte. El mejor saludo se juzga una impertinencia cuando se da gritos y de madrugada. El falto de juicio desprecia a su prójimo, pero el entendido refrena su lengua. No testifiques sin razón contra tu prójimo, ni mientas con tus labios. No digas, le haré lo mismo que me hizo, le pagaré con la misma moneda. El que es imprudente se compromete por otros y sale fiador de su prójimo. Al pobre hasta sus amigos lo aborrecen, pero son muchos los que aman al rico. Es un pecado despreciar al prójimo, dichoso el que se compadece de los pobres. Paula and I and the family just got back from vacation uh, yesterday and uh, a week away, which was a, a huge, huge blessing uh, to us. Thank you to those of you that were praying for us or simply rooting for our rest. It was a uh, restful time away and much needed as well. And we, we know, we know that vacations like that are not to be taken for granted. It's a blessing and a gift. And uh, so we're so grateful for the chance to be away. But we're back. Um, but I'm not back in the pulpit uh, for today. We have a special guest for you. And that is Pastor Glenn Hoberg, who is the lead pastor of Grace Downtown. And uh, those of you that have been around have heard Glenn preach, have been here uh, blessed by his uh, preaching in the past. And it's a joy to introduce him to you again. I, I really hope over time you get to know him as a person, uh, and not only as a, a preacher. And um, so just a few things about him. Basic facts, nothing too embarrassing. Not this time, maybe next time. Uh, Glenn is originally from Pittsburgh. Anyone out there from Pittsburgh? 
uh, originally. Emily, I saw you hesitate and be proud right here, Pittsburgh. Um, and he actually studied music, um, what is an alum of the Berkeley College of, uh, of Music. I was looking back here because Leonardo's uh, daughter actually attends that school right now. Um, and I do feel like sometimes uh, the artist in Glenn's heart really does come through in his preaching. It's a unique gift, uh, a unique part of who he is. Um, Lastly, you know, when I look back in the last 10 years of my life, I can genuinely say that in the hardest times and the lowest times in the last 10 years, Glenn has always been there with me and for me. A true friend, a true brother, uh, one that has taught me a lot about relationships and friendships and neighborships as well, which is why it's appropriate for Glenn to be uh, bringing today's sermon on wise neighboring. We've been going through a series over the past month or so uh, through the book of Proverbs, uh, wisdom for different areas of life. And uh, just so happens that uh, Grace Downtown is also going through the exact same series. Uh, we started two weeks before, so we'll take credit for that. For, uh, no, but um, uh, so Glenn is bringing uh, a, a wonderfully seamless uh, sort of package here, uh, fitting right into our Proverbs series on wisdom, wise neighboring. But let's invite Glenn forward together and show appreciation for him right now. Good morning. Well, I've loved being with you. I always love being with you. Um, love celebrating with you. Um, love what God is doing in this community. Love that guy. I can say the same with him. He has been me, been with me when I've rejoiced, uh, when I've wept. Uh, this brother has been a brother to me. And I'm grateful to be able to um, be in the midst of God with his word this morning with you and to think a little bit about wisdom and neighboring together um, you know as we've been working through Proverbs ourselves uh, one of the things that we find in this book is uh, many times we find ourselves laughing when we hear the scriptures being read uh, verses like if you step too much in your neighbor's house they'll hate you uh, or just sort of going, wow, that's an angle I haven't thought about. This wisdom that comes from God. And Duke probably has said much about this book in preparation. But one of the things personally I love about it is it's framed basically like a father and mother appealing to the heart of their child. Just appealing to them. Uh, some of us maybe had great models of that at home. Some of us had no models of it. But God in heaven would be your father and mother and appeal to your heart through these Proverbs. Uh, his desire to parent and reparent us, even as we live as neighbors. Can I pray? God, thank you so much for your commitment to be with your people. Thank you so much that you've spoken to us and haven't left us wandering or wondering. Thank you for this moment we have. We trust that you'll use your effective word in our hearts. And we thank you in advance. In Christ's name, amen. Now, there's a bit of crossover 
between the terms friend and neighbor in the book of Proverbs, but there's a difference, and I think most of us know it in our gut. Uh, you know, a friend you choose, a neighbor you have because of circumstance. When you think of friendship, it's more affinity, things you have in common. When you think about neighbor, it's proximity. You know, the person that's in the cubicle next to you, or the person that's to this side of you or to the other side of you. And so, neighbor brings up different dynamics than I would say friendship does. You know, you sort of get thrown into it with a neighbor, don't you? Uh, you don't quite know what you're getting into. At least when I moved on my block, I didn't know anybody. And over ten years, well, there's lots of stories I could tell. In fact, tonight I'm going to bring one of my neighbors to church and uh, affirm them and ask them to uh, be honored for the example they've been to me. But we need some help with this. And in fact, it, it may be the district needs more help than other cities. I don't know if you saw this blog a couple weeks ago, but it basically was a report that came out by an organization that evaluates neighborliness in cities. And everything from voting or volunteerism or just how people feel about their neighborhood. And uh, Washington, D.C. came in last, last for neighborliness. Now, at first I was a little offended by that, being a neighbor in Washington, D.C., and the executive uh, director of the report said the difference was really stark. These are some of the things that they said, that neighbors will be polite, they'll talk to you, maybe help you with a one-off thing, but they don't know one another. More importantly, they don't trust one another. Only a third trust most or all their neighbors. And this is especially true in rapidly transitioning neighborhoods like the one you're in, uh, Columbia Heights and Mount Pleasant, Adams Morgan. And there's also this different experience between old residents and new residents. You will have an old resident say, I remember a day where you could lend 20 bucks to your neighbor and they'd lend 20 bucks to you, or my kid was, I was in the hospital rather for four months with a stroke and my kid didn't miss a meal. And then you have the experience of the new neighbor going, you know, I, I don't know if I can trust my neighbor. I had a friend over to my apartment and they brought their bike and their bike was gone. Or everybody seems so busy about their career, they don't seem like they would stop and talk to me. And so we have the tension there between long-time residents and newer residents. And this ought to mostly concern us, I'll say for two reasons. One, because those of us that live in cities, well, you've got a lot of neighbors around you. It's dense with neighbors, right? But the other thing is, those that would aim to follow Jesus Christ, you know that the final exam, right, there's just two questions on it. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your as yourself. So Christians ought to be particularly concerned with this idea of neighboring and wise neighboring. And thankfully, the Proverbs give us some skills, help us to progress in our neighboring. And so I want to just bring before you three things that we find in that uh, group of verses I had read. And that is, what does it mean to be an understanding neighbor? What does it mean to be an honest neighbor? And what does it mean to be a faithful neighbor? Let's look at those two, or rather three things together. First of all, what it means to be an understanding neighbor. 
And I would say this involves two things. One is understanding yourself and then understanding your neighbor. Now researchers will tell us it's about 18 months that a kid becomes self-aware, aware of themselves. They begin to look in the mirror. They begin to use words like I and me. And that self-awareness should grow throughout your life, right? Physically, emotionally, and spiritually. But it also should grow to the point where I'm not only aware of me and the world, but I'm aware of the world and me. Meaning, I'm not only aware of how things are impacting me, how my neighbor impacts me, but how am I impacting them? How am I impacting my neighborhood? And I think one of the things that makes this hard, especially in America is we have such a stress in American culture on the self and the authority of self. In fact, one of the things, virtues, that we'll teach our kids is it doesn't matter what anybody thinks about you. It doesn't matter what anybody thinks about you. You do what you want. Well, you know, you've got to qualify that statement, right? But the other thing that makes it hard is what the Bible calls sin. This moral brokenness that all of us deal with. And sin has this effect of desensitizing or dulling us with our self-awareness. And that is we become hypersensitive to our neighbor's flaws and we tend to become blind to our own. For instance, you might go, how in the world could this person park their car this way? I mean, to leave such a large gap between their car and this other car. I could almost fit my car in this space. And yet maybe we're not aware of how we park in front of a senior citizen's home regularly. And so they have to walk further to get to their house. Or it may be, I can't believe this person wouldn't pick up their dog's mess in my tree box. I mean, and if, I hope you're not like me, but I devise a whole, there was a whole motive in psych. This is, this is the person that's against society. I mean, can you imagine the callousness? I mean, it falls right there, and you know, they had to see it fall. You get a pause with the dog, and they looked at it, and they just said to society, I don't care! I'm leaving it there! Who are these people, right? But, when it comes to a neighborhood cleanup day, you're not around, right? When it comes to the day where people are like, oh, you're, not, you're not to be found. And so, sin has this way where everybody else is high maintenance and we're low maintenance. And that's really part of what's behind this first proverb, or one of them, that says, let your foot be seldom in your neighbor's house, lest he have his fill of you and hate you. Don't you love the bluntness there? Now, it's talking about the particular circumstance, and the way we say this today is don't wear out your welcome, right? We understand that idea. But the bigger thought it's getting to is do you understand tolerance? Meaning, do you understand how much people have to tolerate you and the level of tolerance that you require? How often you might visit your neighbor's house, okay, but how loud your music is, maybe that could be one or, you know, there's a long list. How late your patio parties go or maybe the fact that, you know, you make that U-turn in the center of the street when you see that parking space open and your neighbor's, you know, done the right thing and gone all the way down to the end and turned around. I do the first thing. I don't do the right thing. Um, or it may be you say, listen, that's not really me. I'm pretty quiet in my neighborhood. I barely say a thing. That might be the thing that actually offends your neighbors. Because the neighborhood was known as a place where people talk and they converse. And so to not speak 
is something that really ends up being sort of hurtful and distancing. And so a wise neighbor is praying and asking God, help me become more self-aware about the tolerance that people have to show to me. And every now and then, I think if you pray that God gives you these wonderful aha moments when you go, oh, that's me. But obviously, if you're going to avoid being overbearing or you're going to learn to love your neighbor, you've got to know your neighbor. It just stands to reason. We have to understand a bit of our neighbor. And that means understanding stories and cultures, doesn't it? Now, uh, there's a conflict a couple years ago that happened on my block where there was one neighbor that liked to celebrate 4th of July where they have a party out front and then they'll do fireworks out in the street there and, you know, just have a good time laughing. And another neighbor that, that really got bugged by this and said, this is too loud, too late, and plus you're near my car. And when the conflict happened, the one neighbor said, listen, I grew up in this neighborhood and this is just a way we always celebrated. And you realize what there, that, that has to do with stories, Right? And, and cultural understanding and what someone has done for a while, neighborhood understanding. And so those that want to be a wise neighbor are interested in knowing those things. Uh, you know, sometimes the, we use the language cultural intelligence. Maybe we call it city intelligence, neighbor intelligence, where we become more aware of where people are at. And these are the things that you find demonstrated by the founder of the Christian faith, Jesus Christ. There's no way to hear Jesus preach and not realize, man, this guy understood his culture. He understood his neighborhood. You just hear it from the parables. Or you see it in the Apostle Paul, the great missionary of the Christian church. So different than, sadly, some missions that have just raced into cultures and said, I could care less what you're about. This is what I'm bringing. You notice the Apostle Paul in Athens, what he does is he studies the city. He reads the poets. He asks questions so he can understand the neighborhood, so to speak, before he speaks into it. And so we want to be students of the city, and we want to learn from those living and breathing Wikipedias around us, our longtime neighbors. I remember uh, several years ago, some strawberries appeared in my little, I can't even really call it a garden, it's a couple dead plants in a, a tree or two. But strawberries appeared, and I said to my neighbor, you know, how interesting, I didn't plant strawberries. And he said, oh, that's because Mr. So-and-so lived behind your, you know, your house here, and he had this whole thing here, and strawberries were growing in that neighborhood. Oh. Or, you know, it may be your neighborhood helps you understand the trash cycle, where the best day to go to the city inspection center. These wonderful volumes, right, of understanding through our neighbor's we have adopted in our network of churches here the purpose in and for the city. We want to be in and for the city. Which means our commitment would be uh, that we would not come in and uh, use the city, but that we would seek to be expert students of it. That we would not view the city as a place for drinks and climbing the ladder. We would not view the city... I wouldn't see myself as a tourist. We would say, no matter how long you're here, be here all the way. Right? Whether it's a year or ten years or twenty years. And that involves, I think, the people of God really understanding. But there's another thing along with this understanding that I think is worth our attention. And that is seen in the proverb, whoever belittles his neighborhood, neighbor lacks sense, but a man of understanding remains silent. 
Now, we can belittle our neighbor by gossiping or being critical, but we also can belittle our neighbor by being too quick to complain or give criticism. I remember my first trip overseas, and I went with a missions organization, and they hammered into us three days this phrase, it's not wrong, it's just different. It's not wrong, it's, not, you know, it's just different. Now, of course, that needs qualified, but you get the point. The tendency is when we move into a place that's different, or we haven't lived before, our tendency isn't to ask questions first and go, I wonder why that is, but our tendency is to go, why is it like this? Right? And so this Proverbs helps us go, wait, it talks about the neighbor who's actually quiet, that they remain silent. So I think one way that we wise neighbor is to come in asking questions first before we might complain. A second one is that we would care less about the behavior of our neighbor and more about their lives. Because sometimes um, behind the behavior of a neighbor that might frustrate us is a broken and hurting story. Um, and so it's an opportunity for us to go, I want to understand their lives more than I do just their behavior. And the last thing is that we might hold our tongues through inconveniences and insults. A wise person can remain silent through those things, whether it's your neighbor's, you know, the stench of cat pee on their back patio that wafts over your, you know, back patio, or whether it's sharp words that happen between neighbors. Think of it this way. God has been so long-suffering with us in his neighborhood, hasn't he? He's so gracious. He's so patient as we are neighbors in his world. So understanding, number one. Number two, to be an honest, plain-dealing neighbor. And honest in terms of intentionality, but also in forming alliances or friendships. Proverbs 27 Whoever blesses his neighbor with a loud voice, rising early in the morning, will be counted as a cursing. Now, on the surface, that sounds like a proverb about just not being loud in the morning. But that's not what it means. With this emphasis, it, the emphasis is on someone who is over-eager to bless, but not really bless. You know, the blessing, so to speak, is someone who is eager to be kind to you so they can get something out of you get something from you. That's what the proverb is talking about. And we know this, right? When either you get the phone call or you make the phone call where you know the goal is to ask someone something, but you just spend a little bit longer asking them questions, you know? Hey, how's it going? You know, and then they're probably on the phone. We never really talk this long. And then boom, there comes the request, right? Uh, maybe you've been on the other end of that phone or you help a neighbor shovel their walk because you know next week you're going to say, I need someone to take my garbage cans and put them up on my front stoop. It's that idea of being nice because in the back of your head you want to get something. The wise person doesn't seek to butter their neighbor up, nor do they minimize the reality. They don't say, listen, this dumpster will only be in front of your place for three days when they know it's going to be three weeks. The wise neighbor just comes and asks, and they're direct about it. And to do that, you really have to trust God. That's a spiritual thing. You have to trust God is going to rule over your life. And you also have to trust that God can give you courage to just be honest with people. Those of us that are people pleasers, that's a little bit harder. Another part of this honest plain dealing is to not be the passive aggressive neighbor. Uh, 
one of the folks in my church has been sort of uh, brought me into the drama of her neighborhood where all these neighbors share a garden plot. And there's a listserv, and someone's not keeping up with their part of the garden plot. And so the emails tend to go like this. A certain person... No, not that actually. It goes like this. If we could all just keep up our garden plots, when everybody knows it's this one person. You know, in my house growing up, the way we would say it, instead of saying, someone left a cup in the sink, people left a cup in the sink... My wife's like, Glenn, people, there's like only, you know, three other people in the house. You can just say it. And so to be the honest neighbor is to say, I'm not going to be the passive-aggressive neighbor and kind of do that. I'm just going to speak directly when it's necessary. Nor am I going to try to form alliances, you know, for my cause. Proverbs 24, be not a witness against your neighbor without cause. And do not deceive with your lips. Do not say, I will do to him as he has done to me. I will pay the man back for what he has done. Now, some neighbor wars get famous, right? Uh, there's, you know, uh, I read of a recent one where a neighbor sued their other neighbor because their tree was blocking the sun so their solar panels weren't functioning like they wanted to, right? And we could go on and on, and some of them get downright violent. But here's this idea that as a neighbor, when I feel like I've got an issue that's bothering me, I'm not going to casually raise it with my neighbors or sitting outside so I can garner support, right? Uh, so I can sit there and go in hopes that I can get a couple other people mad with me and we'll do something about it. Or supporting a neighbor in their conflict and meddling in something that maybe you shouldn't. Right? Because you don't know all the facts. Sometimes people can pull or call for our loyalty, and we do it out of loyalty, but we're not doing it out of honesty. So in these ways, we're called to be an honest or plain-dealing neighbor. But lastly, let's look at what it means to be a faithful neighbor. And by this, I'll say helpful and just. A few years ago, I live on Capitol Hill, um, there was an eccentric man who basically got evicted from his neighborhood. This was not too far from my house in Eastern Market. And the marshal had to move all the furniture and belongings in the sidewalk. That's what they have to do. And then people began to scavenge and take. And there were some neighbors sitting by and watching. They, they just thought, this isn't right. And so they moved on in there and sort of set up a little bit of a wall and went and retrieved the guy's stuff. And then the butcher from Easter Market got his butcher, butching truck, whatever you call that thing. And he uh, made sure it was, he could take this guy's stuff and put it in the truck for a while. And then they found a storage place at the U-Haul so they could put this man's things so they would be protected. And thought, you know, what a wonderful expression of the proverb. Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is in your power to do it. Do not say to your neighbor, go and come again. Tomorrow I will give it when you have it with you. Now the Christian faith talks about sins of commission, things I shouldn't have done but I did, and then things of omission, things I should have done but I didn't. This is in that second category. The wisdom literature of the New Testament, the book of James, would say, whoever knows a right thing to do but fails, it's sin for them. And Jesus, of course, established this in Matthew 25 when he said, when I was hungry, when I was thirsty, you came to me. There's this category of positively doing good that God requires. And I've been a recipient of this so many times in my neighborhood. 
I've had neighbors come up and tell me, hey, your keys are in your front door. Do you know that? I thought, wow, thanks for telling me that. I have neighbors that collect my paper when I forget to cancel it, and I'm gone for two weeks. One neighbor that climbed up my bathtub, through my roof, up to my air conditioner to take a photograph of it for the repairman because I wasn't there to do it. You know, these are things that stick with me. These are things that touch me. Positive acts of good. It's a very powerful thing, and especially when it's timely. Uh, there's an old proverb that says, He gives twice who gives quickly. Or help which is long on the road is no help at all. You know, when it's within your power to give it, we all know there's something about timely help that makes it even sweeter, even more helpful to us. And here, I, you know, I want to say something about, it, it doesn't mean we do it without discretion. You heard that proverb that said, you know, don't make a pledge for your neighbor. That means don't assume the debt of your neighbor unwisely. Just because we're called to do good, and especially I think those in their 20s and 30s and those that come to the city, you feel such a pressure to do so much. Right? People that typically come to D.C. as opposed to other cities do so because they want to change the world or change the city. There's a wonderful impulse there, but there's also an exhausting one. There's a book someone wrote called, you know, I forget, some of you probably read it, It's Not Your Job to Save the World or something like that. Uh, I, I need to read it. But the point is this. I think the Christian gospel really helps us with wisdom and freedom this way. Because when we understand we're not saved by our works, we're not saved by our neighboring, we're not saved by our good acts. That God loved me when I was a rotten neighbor to him. God loved me when I didn't do squat for him. God loved me when I was basically, you know, the eyesore in the neighborhood. He loved me. He drew me unto himself. He brought me into his home and adopted me. He said, you're going to live in my house with me, in my neighborhood. When we understand that, there's just a freedom we have in our conscience. Because you can't do every good thing. You know, there's some days where I'm walking along and I see a piece of garbage. And I pick it up. And then I see another piece, piece of garbage. And maybe you don't have a weak conscience like me. But I'm like, should I pick up that piece of garbage too? And then you pick up that bit. How about the next piece of garbage? I mean, I'll be picking up garbage, right? My, my wife will be like, I need you here at home. I'm picking up garbage. You know, there's God, obviously you can't do everything. And the Spirit of God gives you freedom to be able to do that. To go, you know, I'll do this, but I can't do that. In the end, I've realized, the longer I live, there's really a short list of things you do each day, right? It struck me the other day how much time I spend just walking back and forth. I mean, do you ever think about that? Like I made the coffee and I caught Walk over here. I was like, oh, I forgot this in the other room. Walk over here. After about ten of those, I just went, I spent a lot of my day just going back and forth. You know, be freed from self-importance. We don't have to, you know, not every neighbor. One neighbor you pray and other neighbors you use discretion, right? And you go, you know, it wouldn't be a loving thing for me to put a pledge for them, so to speak. It wouldn't help them. It would maybe facilitate something that's not healthy for them. And so... When we talk about reliable helpfulness, we're freed up. We're talking about the grace of God. But lastly, justice. Here we're told the poor is disliked even by his neighbor, but the rich has many friends. Now the proverb is not encouraging that attitude. You can see it from the next verse. 
Sometimes the Proverbs will just make an observation, not an endorsement. That's what they're doing here. Saying the hard reality is that people see poor folk and poor neighbors as a liability. People wrongly see them as a liability. You know, it's either bringing the property down, right, or it's hurting the business. And they just want them to sort of go away. And this is an attitude that the Proverbs come against. And the Proverbs say, no, blessed is the one who is generous. Whoever despises his neighbor in that way is a sinner. But blessed is he who is generous to the poor. And I'll tell you, we know in our neighborhoods of our city, this is not something we have to, like, theorize about. This is happening before our very eyes. And sins of omission are silent sins often, right? They just sort of happen. And as our neighborhood or our city seeks to be a shiny, new, developed city, neighborhoods and neighborhoods of people find that they have no home, right? They're moving out. They're having to move out. And so it's the people of God, I believe, and I know, friends, uh, this is a complex issue. I know that. I'm not trying to oversimplify. I'm trying to say, though, that what we get in the Proverbs about neighbors are that they are the ones, the wise neighbors, the people of God, that raise their voices up and speak and advocate in those moments. When a neighbor is seen to be a liability, they speak up and say, no, that is a neighbor made in the image of God like me. And you must think how many people in our city feel like, well, I got passed up on the way out 40 years ago, and I'm getting passed up on the way in. <laughs> and what does it look for the people of God to be wise neighbors? This is something at Grace Downtown that we're thinking about. This is something that I know that you all think about. It's your commitment to be a true neighborhood. We need to think together and hope together. The Bible doesn't show favoritism to the rich or the poor, but it does acknowledge injustice and that we should care for our neighbors. And so the gospel story reminds you and I that the Son of God moved into our neighborhood. It's only the Christian faith that teaches that God became a neighbor. That God took on flesh and blood. He lived for 30 years as a neighbor. And then he did ministry as a neighbor, caring for the most basic needs, food, clothes, disease. The Bible just gives us a little bit of all the ways that Jesus Christ neighbored. And then he laid his life down for his neighbors so that they might be in him. And this inspires you and I to a new sort of vision. I feel like I've been privileged uh, to have a living, breathing example of this on my own block. And tonight I mentioned I'm going to invite this gentleman to our church. Uh, ten years ago I pulled up, or over ten years ago on my block, and my kids at that time were think five and seven or four and six I can't remember and I got out of the car and this man who was probably 70 years old African-American man came out of his home and he said can I take your kids down into clown lounge oh, at first I was like can I go and he took us down you know his basement and it was wonderful you know his candy down there he has all these wonderful you know dolls the kind of heads bobble you know, uh, and, and we sat down there and visited for a while. And, you know, that was just the beginning of the way this man has been like a grandfather to the children in the block. We call him the mayor of our neighborhood. Now, ironically, his name is Mr. Outlaw, Bill Outlaw. 
And, uh, you know, this is a man that every time uh, a kid comes over, they get a lollipop. This is a man who uh, you'll find your, your trash can magically appear on your front stoop. Um, this is a man who uh, collects all our packages. UPS and FedEx don't come to our home. He noticed several years ago that packages were getting stolen. So he receives all the packages. It's like a post office. At Christmas time, there's 200 packages in there. He has a clipboard. You get a phone call that says, this is outlaw, you got a package. And I mean, he'll call you three times if you don't come and get it. You get over there, kids go over there, they get the lollipop, right? Block parties, he's up at 5 a.m. cooking. Calls every man that goes by handsome, every woman that goes by gorgeous. The first time they hear it, they get a little bit nervous, but then afterward, they, you could see people walking by on purpose just to hear it. <laughs> He says that he learned that lesson when he was a young boy. Said something was wrong, his aunt gave him a good discipline, and he, he never went and looked back. And so, Mr. Outlaw has been the bridge in our neighborhood. About a couple months ago, we lost Mrs. Outlaw. And we all uh, went to the, uh, the church, and I had the privilege of speaking on behalf of the neighbors. And I looked out there, and I saw, you know, <laughs> it, it was just beautiful. It was our neighbors there in this church with Mr. Outlaw. That pastor went and talked about that for a month at his church. Mr. Outlaw still talks about it. And what I saw was it's possible. It's possible to see a different city, a different neighborhood. God can do this thing. And it's God and Mr. Outlaw that does it. Every time I see him, he'll say, just put, keep your hand in his hand and continue to walk. And every time I try to complain, he'll say to me, you know, if I said, man, I'm so tired of walking this, thank God you have legs. Right? I mean, just reminding me of the Lord all the time. So, it is a powerful thing to live next to God. And if you have the Spirit of God in you, that's what your neighbors can and will experience. Let's pray. Thank you so much, God, for putting us in this city. I thank you for Grace Meridian Hill, and uh, they formed around this vision to be a true neighborhood. I thank you there being that very thing, and I pray that you would bless this church in that endeavor. In Christ's name, amen. Let's all stand up and let's sing this song. About